President Joe Biden was officially sworn in as the 46th president of the United States, putting an end to one of the most dramatic and I think many people would say chaotic political transitions in American history. President Biden wasted no time as he signed a flurry of executive orders to combat or undo some of uh, the legacy left behind by his predecessor, Donald Trump. He has vowed to keep his promise to the American people, and uh, there are many that are expressing optimism that this new administration will uh, forge a path forward that will be uh, much more in terms of cohesiveness and unity uh, among people, especially after four years of what uh, some could say was a rather hectic and controversial period. So for um, further discussion on some of the important takeaways from Inauguration Day, as well as perhaps a look back at the legacy of the last four years, we're pleased to be joined once again uh, by the White House correspondent at USA Today, uh, David Jackson, on the line. Hello. Hey, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for joining us. Once again, I know it's very busy, and we definitely uh, always appreciate you being generous uh, with your time. So yesterday, uh, the inauguration uh, came and went relatively smoothly, and uh, thankfully no um, uh, violent uh, uprisings uh, this time around. I guess the first question is, uh, just as the outgoing President Donald Trump leaving in the morning, uh, perhaps with less fanfare than he had wanted to, and someone who had the unenviable task of uh, covering this presidency as a White House correspondent, ultimately, and and the way this all ended with him essentially being muzzled by social media and uh, leaving under a firestorm of accusations of um, inciting an insurrection, what kind of legacy do you think he leaves behind after four years? Uh, chaotic, um, chaotic, and very controversial. I mean, he'll be. Uh, I don't think there's any question. Historians will criticize Trump for as long as people write about the presidency because they they feel like he divided the country and that uh, he pursued policies that were only in his own self interest rather than that of the entire nation. He'll have some defenders uh, for, in the short term. Is in, in the short term, I think he'll have a lot of defenders. I think there are some Republicans who still like Trump, say he did some good things in cutting taxes and deregulating the economy. But overall, I think the, I think there's a, there's a strong feeling that uh, that uh, Trump was was not a successful president. Well, there is, um, I guess, if you uh, ask the eighty plus million voters who. Uh, selected Joe Biden, there's a hope that he would be ultimately a better president uh, when it's all said and done four years from now, assuming how the uh, second term goes and whether he runs for re-election. That being said, he has just started his uh, presidency and his administration. He was sworn in as the 46th president of the United States. Uh, The inauguration ceremony certainly uh, very much subdued because of COVID-19, as well as the security concerns um, after the uprising on uh, January 6th. What were your uh, observations, generally speaking, uh, being there for Inauguration Day? It was sad and a little bit lonely because Mm. there just weren't a lot of people here. There There were many, many more police officers and soldiers and there were regular real people. Now, of course, that was going to, that was in the cards anyway, because the Biden campaign had asked people not to come to Washington, and they wanted a socially distance inauguration anyway. But after the attack on the Capitol, uh, the local authorities just really cracked down and were determined not to have a similar incident this time. So the, the uh, this, uh, large swaths of the city were cordoned off with fences and 
we had police officers and national guardsmen patrolling the streets in, in very large numbers and, and to the, I mean to the degree that we had dozens and dozens and dozens of more troops than we did real people here so it was kind of sad because it was so empty but on the other hand I, I think Biden did a very good had a very good speech uh, there were very moving there was a very moving poem at the inauguration mm-hmm. ceremony um, there was a beautiful renditions of uh, the national anthem and in uh, an amazing grace, so I, I think the ceremony was was quite well done and quite welcome in these very difficult times. But there was also a tinge of sadness to it, right? And that tinge of sadness uh, certainly uh, maybe a phenomenon again of, of the last four years, uh, especially with the right. uh, the tragic events that, that have unfolded in recent days, as well as of course uh, the, the the tragedy of the uh, COVID nineteen pandemic. In terms of the uh, sense of optimism now, uh, as we kind of suss through still very early days, uh, the communications team has signaled now a return to the traditional weekly White House press briefings. Just uh, this is more out of personal curiosity as somebody who has been working so hard as a White House correspondent and the uh, chaotic four years of uh, the sporadic press briefings, perhaps even uh, a shutout by the media, um, uh, very, very unreliable sources in terms of uh, trying to cobble together a story. Is For the White House core, is it a welcome change, or is there a sense of, man, well, at least Trump brought a lot of drama and and uh, clicks and views to <laughs> to our, our news media organizations, and there's going to be a little bit of, um, I don't know, um, uh, nostalgia or kind of um, wondering if all that excitement is gone now. No, no, it's very, it's very welcome. Okay. There's daily briefings, not just weekly, but every oh, okay, day. Okay. In fact, uh, Jen Psaki just wrapped up her, her latest briefing about an hour ago. But no, they're very welcome, and it's for the reasons you cite. There were so many, so many anonymous leaks in the Trump campaign, and it was, they were hard to confirm. The, the one of the purposes of the briefing is that someone with a name on camera will confirm a lot of this stuff. For example, early this morning there was a report that Biden was going to extend an arms control agreement with Russia for five years. It was an honestly sourced report. It was it wasn't easy to get. I mean, we. We did find someone who would confirm it for us, but Saki confirmed it for us on the record, that mm. briefing. So the briefings are very good for, for getting this stuff on the record so that we can report it and we know what's going on and we know the context and stuff like that. So, yes, it's, it's, a, it's a very welcome change, and I, I think it's very, it's very good for the press corps, and it's also very good for the White House itself. Yeah, I, I guess there's always been sort of this assumption that um, White House correspondents or anybody who has a, sort of an insider uh, track here, that they prefer – leaky White Houses, so to speak, because they can get a lot of juicy gossip and then kind of cite these anonymous sources to kind of uh, put out these articles. But you're saying that it is actually better to have it out on the record in front of the camera and have that clarity uh, for a reporter, right? Yes, I think so, because you can't cover every story. I mean, individual reporters love news leaks and love to break stories, but they can't break every story. And there are going to be some stories that other people have that you need, and they're going to be hard to get. So it's helpful to have someone confirm you confirm them for you as a briefing. The problem with a lot of the leaks during the Trump administration is that many of them were not true. I mean, some aide would leak something to reporters Mm. for their own benefit or to try to steer the decision-making process in a certain way. You just couldn't rely on what you were being told by way too many of the Trump aides. So that was another problem with the way Trump did business. And so there was this cacophony of information, much of it contradictory, and it made it very hard to explain to people what was going on. And of course, part of that was the problem is because Trump and his people really didn't know what was going on. They were trying to do, they were, you know, they were sometimes trying to do two things at once, and other times there just was no clarity as to their own policy. So 
I, I think from a reporting standpoint, that's one thing that we, we, we won't be missing is all, all the, it was chaos. I mean, there's <laughs> no other way to describe it. It was just a very chaotic decision-making process and a very chaotic communication process. And, and that, that generated problems. Well, one of the things you just mentioned as an example, this um, clarification on the extension of the five-year of the uh, the five-year uh, arms control agreement with Russia. Uh, at least what has been reported so far, uh, from what we know, um, is that uh, this first day has been very busy for uh, President Biden. He's uh, signed a flurry of executive orders uh, reversing many of the uh, Trump policies, including. Uh, re- returning to the Paris Agreement, um, other issues in right. regards to the the climate pr- crisis, basically acknowledging that climate change is is real, uh, and and really highlighting the fact that the main priority right now is going to be trying to get this pandemic under control. Uh, what were your overall views on uh, the kind of sort of first day administrative actions by this new White House? Oh, you, you nailed it. It was basically reversing some of the stuff Trump did. And they, they focused on stuff that they could actually do on their own through executive orders. You mentioned the Paris climate deal. That's something they could do. Rejoining the World Health Organization, that's another thing they can mm. do. Basically, I would say that it, he really went after the Trump uh, record in terms of immigration. Trump cracked down on a lot of immigration. Biden is going to pull some of that back. And also alliances. Uh, uh, Biden wants to re- rejoin alliances that Trump broke or try to improve the relations therein, and that, that, that's one of his top priorities. And, and also climate change. So those three issues, immigration, climate change, and alliances are, are, are the three major issues in which Biden is focusing on. And um, he's, he's, he's doing the low-hanging fruit right now because th- those are kind of things he can just do by signing a piece of paper. With COVID-19, um, he can do some things through uh, executive order. Uh, there have been uh, things like uh, mask wearing being federally mandated, at least uh, in terms right. of uh, where the federal government has uh, jurisdiction over. But in terms of a lot of the um, the aid and, and the, the uh, budgetary aspects of this, he will need some cooperation from Congress. This uh, very big right. $1.9 trillion uh, bill it, what is the situation with the Congress and how they're going to handle this and this complication that has occurred because of the fact that the um, the former president now is currently uh, going through an impeachment process? <laughs> well, it's going to definitely complicate things and it's going to create some very long schedules for the senators. Now, the uh, impeachment's in the Senate. Um, excuse me, the House has already impeached Trump. Now there'll be a trial in the Senate. It'll probably be next month. Uh, they think it could take as long as two or three weeks, but uh, the, the way I, the way I understand is right now the setup is they'll just have a bifurcated day where the uh, in the morning they'll they'll conduct regular business and in the afternoon they'll conduct the trial so it'll just be like a two part Senate session for a couple of weeks there. Um, leaders are saying it shouldn't create too many problems because a lot of the a lot of the deal making goes on behind the scenes anyway. You don't really need to be on the floor to do some of the kind of, some of the kind of horse trading that's been going on. As you mentioned, the real focus is a COVID bill. Basically, we want a COVID bill and an economic stimulus bill, or perhaps some combination therein. I think there's a lot of talking going on. I think Republicans are interested in some of this stuff as well. So I, re- mm-hmm. I really do expect uh, the, the new president to get something on those two fronts. It's just going it's, it's to be a while. It's just going to be a matter of time. Right, and I know you're not a cr- congressional correspondent, but you obviously know what's going on in Congress there much better than us here in Korea. Could you just yeah. explain what's going on with the, at, at least with the Senate, because of the two uh, Georgia seats that went to the Democrats now giving 50 plus one, including uh, Vice President Kamala Harris's tie-breaking vote, that they do have to now reassign committees, but there does seem to be some kind of um, uh, 
delaying tactic by uh, Mitch McConnell, the outgoing majority leader, as to what kind of agreement they have to come up with to have the ratio of Republicans on these various committees. Uh, And so it is sort of stalling some of the progress uh, that can uh, move forward with legislation, right? Yeah, well, that's 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 pretty common in a situation where we've got we've got a situation where there are 100 senators and each party has 50 members in their caucus, so it's a dead tie. Yeah. Now, in terms of voting, that tie is broken by the vice president is the president of the Senate, so she will be able to break ties on votes, and that's the reason the Democrats have nominal control. But in a situation like this, the parties have to work out what they call a power sharing agreement. They did this about 10 year, ten or 12 years ago, too, and we had the same situation. Well, 20 years ago now, I'm dating myself, but we've had these kind of things before, and the parties negotiate what is known as a power-sharing agreement. And basically, it's it's agreed into which which committees will have eight, seven, or one-vote majorities, which committees will have an eight-seven majority or a seven-six majority, and which committees will just be split evenly. So it's, it's just an arduous process where there's working forward in terms of which specific committees will have the majority. It doesn't really mean a whole lot. In, in terms of power, but, but obviously it's important in terms of setting the agenda and getting things moved forward. And Mitch McConnell and the Senate, new Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer are, are talking behind closed doors. I'm not getting the impression there's any kind of impasse. They're just kind of working through all these issues. And I think this will be resolved by next week. The uh, confirmation of a lot of the nominees also you expect to go very uh, smoothly. I, I guess uh, the, the big news coming out that uh, they had their first official confirmation with the uh, head of the DNI, right? Right. Yeah, they confirmed that the head of the DNI. I mean, that's important because Biden didn't want to be the first president to have no cabinet, so he's he's at least got one member. And I think we'll see Janet Yellen. I think will be confirmed very shortly. Um, I think the attorney general nominee will also be confirmed. I don't think there are going to be any problems with Biden's nominees unless there's some kind of personal picadelio we don't know anything about. But people have been investigating these people for weeks, and we haven't heard about anything. So I'm assuming all things are go. Here again, it's just a matter of time. I think you'll see most of the nominees confirmed next week. As you say, uh, and uh, dating both of ourselves, when we've seen these inaugurations in the past, uh, whether it is uh, Bill Clinton's election in the 90s up through George W. Bush um, and and so on and so forth through the Barack Obama era and then, of course, uh, the uh, Trump era, uh, there always is a bit of a, a grace period, a honeymoon period for these newly elected presidents as they come into office I'm wondering if the situation is a bit unique now, whether it is because of the COVID-19 pandemic or also because how extremely, and I know that it's kind of cliche to see that things are polarized, but just because of the fact that these 70 plus million voters who voted for Donald Trump and a, a, a large uh, plurality, plurality of them believe that this uh, election was fraudulent and that uh, Joe Biden is not the duly elected uh, president of the United States, is that whether um, Biden will have that um honeymoon period to be able to enact his agenda in that uh, famous first 100 days? I'm pretty confident he will, and uh, I'll tell you why. There are some Republicans who are already complaining about him. Um, We have a senator who held up one of his cabinet nominees, Mm -hmm. which he has the right to do, but you can only do that for a couple of weeks, so that's really not that big a deal. But they've got individual members. who We even have a House member who today filed an impeachment article against Biden. It it doesn't mean anything. It's just that the Republicans just don't have the numbers in the House to do anything, and, and there are only a few senators who are determined anti-Bidenites. So I think that the, the kind of people you're talking about are just very few in number. And I also think that the party's somewhat embarrassed over what happened on January 6th. I think there's a real chagrin about 
the idea that Trump supporters would bust into the Capitol and, and, and try to intimidate lawmakers into changing the election. I think there's real embarrassment. The Republicans are going through a bit of an identity crisis right now. They're very worried about extremists within their party. And I think their, their party leaders are going to want to show that they're cooperative. And they're, I think they are, they're eager to reach out with Biden, especially on these issues like COVID and, and the econo- economic stimulus, because people generally agree that something needs to be done. They need to do something about this pandemic and the economic havoc that it's creating. So I think you'll see at least something on that. And I I, I really really do think that Biden will get a honeymoon. Don't know how long it'll be, but I think it'll be a honeymoon. Speaking of that soul searching, then uh, you, you might have some of these more uh, moderate Republican senators like uh, Amit Romney or I, I guess a, a Susan Collins who might might be of like mind as a uh, Joe Manchin of West Virginia, and they would be the most influential in crafting together sort of a middle road uh, deal for a lot of these uh, pieces of legislation. But for that Republican Party, as you say, um, uh, having to do some soul searching, the uh, desire to move forward and maybe move past the Trump era uh, being held back by the fact that their base is still very much in line with supporting Trump and Trumpism. What do you think is the future of going forward then? I know it's too early to already talk about 2024, but who controls the party going forward? It doesn't seem like Trump is going to necessarily fade into the sunset. A lot of his um, cronies, his his um, his son, uh, are potential new figures in that uh, Trumpist uh, uh, mold. Do you feel that there is going to be sort of a reckoning where the Republican Party will decide whether they're going to have to stick with this formula for the past four years or kind of move back to their conventional Republican ways? Right. I think, well, there is no leader of the Republican Party right now. It's very diffuse. Some people will tell you that Trump still is, but I've got my doubts because Mm. uh, you're seeing some some lawmakers have criticized him, and you're even seeing some members of his base kind of pulling away from him. There was a uh, there's a chat board, like the New York Times reported on a chat board from a, a, a white nationalist group called Proud Boys, in which a lot of people were criticizing Trump. So I think some of his biggest fans have kind of pulled back from him for various reasons. And the lack of the presidency is going to have an impact on how much power Trump can wield over the Republican Party. If you if if don't have the perks of the presidency, it's going to be much, much harder to keep people in line. So I think what the Republicans are doing right now is seeing just how much support Trump does lose in this current period. And we also have the impeachment trial. I think that there are some Republican senators who are indeed thinking about voting to convict Trump because mm. they feel like the party needs to cut loose. And if Trump is convicted of this impeachment charge, he will be ineligible for public office down the line. So he, he could not run for president again, at least not as a Republican. So I think there are a lot of Republicans who are seriously thinking about basically excommunicating Trump from their party, and this, is, this impeachment vote is one way to do that. So I think it's very uncertain as to who's going to lead the Republican Party, and I think there's going to be a very huge fight as to who's going to, who's going to get that mantle. Right. And uh, it does look like the insurrection also really raised some serious questions as to uh, what direction they want to go. So uh, people like Josh Hawley or Ted Cruz probably lost a lot of political capital uh, in the aftermath of that in terms of their uh, maybe ambitions to to lead the party as well. Okay, um, we went through a lot, and I know that uh, you have been very generous with your time, as always, Mr. Jackson. Thank you so much uh, for joining us, and uh, best of luck to you, and look forward to talking to you again soon. Thank you very much, sir. Great. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. Bye. That was David Jackson, White House correspondent at USA Today. Uh, We are going to move on to part four of the program, our regular Friday segments online voices, and then rounding out things with a look at the world of sports before we head into the weekend. All of that lined up for you. We're also going to announce the winner of today's quiz question of the day and the 10,000 won coffee voucher. Stay tuned.